Warm Weather Fans is brought to you by Zencaster. As you can hear at the beginning of each episode, we use Zencaster to record and host all of our podcast episodes, and the platform is incredibly easy and user-friendly. Users can record up to 4K video quality and high-quality audio with just the click of a button, as you can hear from our episodes. Zencaster's post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It automatically removes any feedback in your recording and gives each user their own dedicated audio stream. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with just the click of a button. So now go to Zencaster.com pricing and use my promo code WARM and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and recording needs. It's time to share your story with Zencaster. Welcome everybody into another episode of Warm Weather Fans, the Sunbelt Podcast. I'm your host as always, uh, Brian Stone, joined once again this week by Matt Miguez and Zeke Palermo. Uh, I said I, I usually do this at the end of the show, but I'm, I'm going to start doing it at the top. Um, email us any questions, comments you have uh, at warmweatherfans at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at warmweatherfans. Um, appreciate everybody that's listened so far and continues listening every week. Uh, Want to throw it over to Zeke first. Be like, hey, Zeke, how's it going? How you doing? All yeah. those sorts of things. And then we'll throw it to Matt and then we'll get started. I'm doing all right. Um, you know, good good weekend uh, for the Sunbelt looks. Um uh, to, to plug our own socials uh, on, on Twitter, Brian, I saw you posted some incredible clips from short form kind of TikTok-esque content, which I loved, and I appreciate you doing uh, doing that for us. However, you got to give us a heads up, man, because you caught me in those clips, picking at my teeth with a thumbtack, chewing on my mustache, man. It was bad. Can, can, uh, I, just, can I just say one thing really quick? So have at it. This is like a look behind the curtain. This is some inside baseball for the people that don't don't know. We record on this platform. I, I we have an ad for it that runs every week called Zencaster. the The way that the, that it works is I didn't have a choice of what clips got selected. They have this new AI thing that clips individual sections of the podcast and basically just says, "Here you go. You can post this." So I didn't have a choice of what was used and when. I just it. I was more surprised that it made a an understandable clip that people could actually follow more than anything else. So when I went back and watched it, there were a couple I didn't use because they were just like they would cut off mid sentence. But those those ones that I posted were usable. Again, apologies, but I I didn't know what a, the AI platform was going to clip, so that was out of, that was totally out of my hands. But Matt, throwing it over to you, how are you doing, gentlemen? I don't know that you can see. But I'm wearing a hoodie. That means that it's actually kind of chilly in, in South Louisiana. Um, it, it's currently 60. Supposed to get down in the upper 40s tonight. Uh, but look, Zeke, my, my my guy, if you're making the trip to South Louisiana for the game this Saturday, uh, it's it's gonna get up to 85, my friend. So you'll you'll get that good old Cajun weather. Uh, I will not be making the trip, and we'll talk more about that g- game later. But uh. It's just a little bit out of my driving, uh, my driving range for I, for this one. I totally understand. <laughs> so let's go ahead and kick it off here. Um, let's start with last Tuesday. We recorded during this episode, but um, I caught Matt and I were talking about it before 
Zeke hopped on. We caught the end of this game and basically I feel like the most impactful sequence was about the last six, seven minutes of regulation. So I'm obviously talking about Coastal Carolina rallies. They come back, beat App State, kick a field goal right at the buzzer. Um, Matt, you and I were sort of talking about the sequence. So I just kind of want to throw it. I don't really have like a setup question per se. I feel like this is almost like the ULM play that we discussed. I feel like we just almost need to have just sort of like each one of us goes and gives our take on sort of what transpired, how the game turned out and stuff like that. So I'm going to throw it to you first and then we'll go to see. Yeah. You know, this was another one of those very, you know, wild endings, right? Where you look at, at, you know, 847 left to go in the game app scores a touchdown to tie it at 24 apiece. Uh, Coastal gets the ball back. They go 68 yards down the field, soak up four minutes of the clock. And it's a turnover on downs, right? App State gets that defensive stop that you need uh, with about four minutes or so to go. And that's kind of that moment where you go, okay, we go down the field, drain the clock, kick a field goal, everybody goes home happy, right? And then very first play, Joey Aguilar finds his receiver, Tucker, who takes off 60-something yards down the field and you're like, okay, well, you know, App's moving a little quickly here, but maybe they'll just score a touchdown, make it that much harder for Coastal to, to come back. No, he, he coughs up the football, um, and Coastal was able to fall on it, and then obviously they go down the field, kick the field goal as time expires, and wins the game. It, it's moments like that fumble where veteran experience kind of comes into play because a senior wide receiver now – Excuse my ignorance. I, I don't know what grade Mr. Mylon Tucker is in, um, but a veteran, uber experienced wide receiver probably doesn't take off 60 something yards down the field. He probably slides somewhere and, and runs down the clock a little bit, right? According to ESPN, Mylon Tucker is a junior. Okay. So an, an upperclassman. Um, I, I would have expected him to know, Hey bud, you know, let, let's run off some clock, maybe, maybe run 30, 40 yards and go to the ground. Uh, but look, you know, in, in order to learn, y you first have to do it wrong. Uh, so look, I, I think this will be a good learning experience for app. Um, obviously this was not the game that they wanted to make these kinds of mistakes in, uh, but look, credit to coastal. They did what they had to do. Um, they, they kept it close for most of the game, capitalized on a, a key mistake by app and was able to go down the field and win the game. See, you want to go next? Yeah, I, I think my big takeaway from this and uh, we'll talk about as we get into next week's game is that Nate Noel left the game super early. Uh, he, he took one carry, one reception and left the game with uh, what I believe the reporting is a lower body injury. We're not going to know um, what happens uh, with him this week until Saturday, just with how apps uh, media availability is working out but uh, I'm worried about the the long-standing impact of that uh, injury should Nate Noel not be able to come back next week or you know the week following because in, in his absence it, you got 11 rushes from Kanye Roberts and, and six from Mikel Haywood but neither of them have ever seen the volume that Nate Noel has uh, produced at they both had really impeccable yards per carry numbers. Uh, I think Roberts finished above four and Haywood above uh, six, I believe approaching seven. And 
but between the two, you're missing. You got to make up 20, 22 carries uh, next week. And I, I worry for App moving forward if uh, Noel's not healthy. So, Matt, I want to I want to go in, not go in. I, I want to sort of add on to some of the things that you said. Number one, uh, I think the reason Mylon Tucker didn't have the mindset of let's let's go to the ground and kill some clock is. So I looked him up. He's a junior. However, he only has 14 career receptions. 12 of them have been this year. 69 yards, which was the play he got stripped on, was easily the longest he's ever had in his entire college career. So I think in his head, he's like, I get to be the hero here. And ball security is important. I mean, I don't I don't I don't know. You know, that's sort of a a universal thing that every coach teaches. But, you know, when you're in the heat of the game and you're running down the field and you have a chance to you know, potentially score the game-winning touchdown in a game like that. You're not yeah, you, thinking. You're not thinking. You you get to be the kid that won't buy a meal for the next month. No, I mean, I I get it. Um, and, and I mean, I can't say for sure certainty that I would have gone to the turf either in, in that situation. Um, but but sometimes, and I guess you know, fourteen starts that that's just or fourteen catches that that's just an experience. Um, but look, like I said, App's gonna learn from it. I don't think App's dead in the water because they lost this game. Um, I've, I'm actually going to say that I've been very, I've been impressed with, with what App's done so far. I, I think that they've performed either right at or maybe a little above what I expected them to be this year. Um, so, so look, you know, I, I don't think, again, like I said, I don't think they're dead in the water. Um, I think there's still potential to be a 7-8 win football team this year. Um, but again, you just got to learn from those mistakes. Well, uh, hold, hold on, Zeke. What, yeah, what are the yeah. things? And then, and then, if you want to chime in on this, or Matt wants to chime in on this, you can. One of the things that I said before we started recording is: is there a series that is more emblematic of this post Satterfield, post Drinkowitz recruit Sean Clark App State teams than stopping Coastal on downs? Shut, you know, smothering Grace McCall on a, mm-hmm. a on a potential fourth and two when he goes to run. You shut him down. You get the ball back. You go throw that long bomb, but you fumble, and then you let Coastal march down the field and kick a game winning field goal. I don't know that there is a more emblematic series for what this post, like I said, post recruit Sean Clark. These are his guys now. This is his yep. team. Like the Thomas Hennigans, the Taylor Lambs. You know, all those guys are, are are long gone at this point. Like the guys he's winning with now are the guys that he has brought in. I just feel like two things. One, that lack of like focus, attention to detail and stuff like that. You know, we talked about the, the Wyoming game a couple weeks back, like the game where they lost. Wyoming had like 10 yards passing and still found a way to right. beat them. Just like that sort of stuff is very... If you were to distill an essence down, like these are the types of things that the Sean Clark App State team would give you. And then just second, secondly, like what, what does this sort of mean for them? You know, because like I said, your three losses now are to North Carolina. Nobody faults you for that Mm -hmm. at all. They played really well and, and were in that game again, Wyoming in a game that they dominated and then had two really bad, like essentially series happened back to back. And they, they ended up finding a way to lose that game. And then this one where you're firmly in the driver's seat and you essentially give the game back to Coastal in a, in a spot where Coastal look, 
dead as a doornail. So just those two things together, like what is that going to do for Sean Clark? Like what is that going to do to this team? Like it may not hurt them now, but if they're like scrapping potentially to get to six wins like they were last year, like who know who knows long-term what, what sort of effects these, these two losses may have. So Zeke, if you want to, if you want to jump in, you can. Yeah. I mean, this just kind of goes back to what we say week in, week out about this app team is that even when they win, you don't feel great. It's always shaky with these guys. Um, With that said, app, this is apps only conference loss thus far. Um, You imagine they'll probably end up losing to JMU, but as at this point, App State's still very much in contention for playing in the conference championship. And um, I, they're in this weird nebulous zone where we talk every week about how nobody really loves Sean Clark, but he's not going anywhere because he's winning games. And, and so I just think this is, this is the, the ugly side of that. You know, you, you get ugly wins and then you get ugly losses. And this was just one of those that, you really hate to see. I mean, that last coastal drive, I don't think we've talked about yet. It wasn't like coastal needed 20 yards to get in the field goal range. They went 11 plays, 77 yards. It, it By plays, it was the longest drive the Chanticleers had all game. It was, I think, the second longest by yardage all game. And so it just it, it was a collapse in those final minutes after the a defensive collapse in those final minutes. And I think this is just it's par for the course. It, it doesn't mean much because it's par for the course. I, I want to say one last thing about app. And then I do want to talk about coastal before we move on off of this game. Um, man, you know, I've talked about before, like I monitor their, the app state social media presence, like the fan base, like what are they thinking? The, the chance of, of no pun intended, the chance of fire Sean Clark were very loud after this game. Like it was very much like, this guy's a problem. These are the types of games we lose that we absolutely shouldn't. So we'll see, you know, like Zeke said, he he has won games, but we're sort of now a couple years removed from, you know, the really successful years when, again, he was playing with other guys' recruits. Last two years, I mean, they're they're like a 500 football team combined. I mean, they would they went, what, six and six last year. They're three and three now. So they're nine and nine so far over the last two seasons. So Obviously, App State fans are not happy with it. I, I totally understand why. Um, you just, if you were a neutral fan, you it's kind of weird to see a guy regress like this from the Sunbelt title game appearances to barely hovering above 500 every single week. Um, the other thing I want to say is Grayson McCall, man, kudos to him for rebounding. He was really bad in that Georgia Southern game where he threw four picks. He came out and was lights out 19 of 28 373 two touchdowns Zeke touched on it took them down the field 77 yards for that final drive and then they they kick it and that's that's the ball game and then I think he was he was sort of riling the the App State fans up by giving them the little like Queen Elizabeth wave on the way out of the Mm -hmm. stadium which which made Mountaineer fans super super happy as as it always does but yeah man he credit to him for for coming out and just being like Last week was last week. We're we're coming out and just completely starting over. Uh, I think uh, I'm curious about what McCall looks like moving forward because we saw a shift in, in the receiving for for this team. Because normally on a week to week basis, it's, it's Sam Pinckney and, and Jared Brown getting the the bulk of the receiving here. 
And, and this week, Jared Brown was relegated to only two targets, one catch. That catch went for 40, but uh, only two targets. And in his place was Jamison Tucker. He only had three catches, but he did so on seven targets um, and, and finished with 100 yards. So I'm curious. I talked about a couple weeks ago when Coastal played Georgia State. I said, we might have found the way to shut out Coastal. And it's, you know, let Sam Pinckney or Jared Brown ro- run wild and shut down the other, uh, you know, kind of like that, like Clay Thompson, Steph Curry thing. Like you can have one go off, but you can't have both. With uh, with Jamison Tucker in the mix now, I think that adds just another layer to this offense and I think uh, contributed greatly to, to what uh, Grayson McCall was able to do. You, you touched it on it, Brian. I mean, he started nine for nine and, and I think over the – his he completed eight of his last eleven, so he he had a great game, as you said. After he was looking kind of shaky for a couple weeks, um, I mean, I he, there was question for a second, but he's cer- certainly still the best quarterback in this conference. Matt, this is the last little bit I'll say, and if you have something else to jump in with, you can, or if not, we can just sort of move on. I do think incorporating some of these other guys into the offense actually helps them a lot because that target share was so constricted to just those two receivers that it's easier said than done but essentially like like what Zeke said like if you let either Jared Brown or Sam Pinckney go off the other one's not going to kill you you know it's one of those things where it's like if we shut down Sam Pinckney we we bracket him in coverage Jared Brown's not going to go for 200 plus and three touchdowns on us so we'll just let him go out there and do what he does but once you introduce a Jamison Tucker, a Kendall Carr. Um, I, I'm not even going to attempt to say this guy's name. Du- Duplessis sounds like a an Italian automobile to me. Um, but it, as soon as you start incorporating some of these other guys, it makes it harder to say, okay, let's just lock in on these two, and then we don't have to worry about anybody else. If you start incorporating a bunch of other guys in spots like that, Jamison Tucker then maybe you found a little bit of a recipe to help McCall out that he's not so focused in on just those two guys. Yeah, you know, we talked about this when we were previewing the Louisiana-Texas State matchup a couple weeks ago. Texas State, you know, as good as they are offensively, when they get inside the red zone, they they kind of shut down, right? They they become incredibly one-dimensional because their passing game is so vertical that their playbook doesn't have you know, 10, 15 yard routes that they can run in the red zone. That's just not a thing. So they become super, you know, compact, super, you know, run the football and that predictability can really hurt you more times than not. So Brian, you're exactly right. Getting other guys involved, you know, if you're constantly throwing to Jared Brown, you're constantly throwing to Sam Pinckney on film, it'll take you 30 seconds to say, Hey, double team that guy. We're good. Like, we'll, we'll let the other guy go for 40, 45. They're, they're not going to beat us that way. Um, but no, if you if you show your opponent that that you have four or five guys that can beat them, uh, they're going to respect you a lot more. And, and in turn, you're going to be able to do a lot more with your offense. Uh, so I think that that was a very smart move by Tim Beck, and it worked out very well. So with that, Coastal comes away with their first Sun Belt win of the season, much needed. Uh, they are now 3-3 three and three and 1-2 and two in the Sun Belt. App State drops to three and three and is now one and one in the Sun Belt. Um, so getting into this next game, uh, Georgia Southern got absolutely demolished by James Madison. So 
One thing I want to say is I have a take. I want to start with a take that I have, and then I'll get into the actual game itself. But I want to put the take out there, and I want to hear you guys. If you have any reaction to it, let me know. Here's the take. I'm kind of out on Davis Bryn. I, I saw you tweet this, and I don't disagree. But my question, what is different between him and Kyle Van Trees? He he doesn't have as 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 solid of pocket presence. He doesn't mm-hmm. avoid the rush as well when there is a rush coming. He doesn't look to push the ball down the field. He basically plays like a quarterback for another team I root for, Mac Jones. He mm-hmm. he he's averse, you know, he's risk averse and he doesn't have the arm to push the ball down the field and threaten a team vertically the way that Van Trees did. So God, it's really, a bad year to be Brian. What? I said it's a bad year to be Brian. I I mean, if the Patriots get Caleb Williams, it'll all be worth it. And so like whatever. But but um <laughs> But but that's the thing is, Van Treese, you at least had the threat of, oh, crap, he might throw the ball over our head to Caleb Hood, Derwin Burgess, like these types, Amari Jones last year, those types of guys. This year, it's like everything is a wide receiver tunnel screen. Everything is a slant. Every There's no slant and goes. There's nothing to mix it up to, for a team to even say, this is something we need to be concerned about. Like, I mean, I tweeted it on Saturday. I was like, give it up with the, with the screens. It isn't happening. Like, how many screens do you have to throw before you're like, yeah, it, we're not getting any yards out of this. Let's stop Let's stop doing it. Because as soon as we line three receivers up on one side, everybody knows it's a screen because two of them are blocking. So, yeah. like, it got real heated in my mentions all the way through Saturday. I actually had two people that... I, I was not one of these people. I had two people arguing about this point all the way through last night. And it, I'm talking about from Saturday evening to Monday night, I had people arguing about whether Davis Brin was legitimate or not. And so I just want to put it out there. Now, they play UL Monroe this weekend. UL Monroe's not very good. I, if Davis Brin comes out and throws four touchdowns and no picks against UL Monroe, my, my take has not changed because he is very good against bad football teams or teams that don't have great defenses. He is not good against teams that we've now seen with wisconsin jmu in those two games alone he has one touchdown and eight turnovers in those two games so like that's the type of stuff everybody was like oh he's just blah 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 jmu's just really good no no no. i'm giving them their just do for sure like they are a very very good football team we say all the time they're the best football team in the conference i'm talking about a guy who shrinks under pressure and you can't win with that because what's the best case scenario Okay, they make a run, they win all their games in the in the in the East, they go to the Sunbelt title game, and Matt, I know you love ten dollar words. They get bisected by Troy on national TV. Great. Like, what's the best case scenario there? Like the mm-hmm. second he's pressure, he's gonna turtle up. So so what 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 do we really have to look forward to is kind of what I'm throwing out there. It's too early to ask this, I know, but you saw one one and a half drives with JC French. No, no, he, no, he's either, he's either too young or he doesn't, doesn't have it like the, the, okay. So this was a perfect microcosm of how this game went. This was a two play series. You ready for this? Yep. Number one, Davis Brin drops back. Uh, JMU sends a guy off the corner. Davis Brin not only doesn't identify it, he doesn't even turn his head to look at the guy and gets totally blindside hit. Uh, they checked him out for a concussion. He had to come out for one play. JC yep. French comes in has a ball tipped at the line and it's intercepted. Right. That was that was the game in a nutshell. JC French either doesn't have it or 
he's like a freshman or, or something, redshirt freshman or something like that. You know, he's either you know too what I love? Have it. You know what I love about my team being on a bye? What's that? They couldn't do anything. Wrong. They could not do anything wrong. Now, obviously, and, and we'll get into this later. Zeke's team did a lot of things very, very right. Um, and, and I'm going to give major praise to the Panthers here in a bit. Um, but, but Brian, before we leave the Georgia Southern game, I do have a question and, and it may be too early to ask this as well. And I hate to ask it because I have so much respect for the man. Was year one, maybe a little bit of a fluke for Clay Helton? They went six and six. Like it wasn't, they didn't go 10 and two. <laughs> well, right. But from, but from where Georgia Southern was the year before, I think six and six was an improvement for you guys. Well, yeah, I mean, he basically took an offense that was totally non-functional in 2021 with a head coach that had already booked his next stay in Boca Raton to be the tight ends coach at FAU. Like, yeah, I, I agree. It was, it was way better. Like, <laughs> we didn't give up, like, three games into the season like we did in 2021. Right. But, but no, I, I mean, they were a top 10 offense in the country last year. They were They're a top 20 offense in the country this year. The offense is good against bad teams, and that's majority of who they've played so far, and they'll continue doing so this Saturday when they play the Warhawks. But like I said, it's like every other game that he's played, I, I tweeted the stat out, I, I could pull it up and, and look at it, but it's like 12 touchdowns, four picks or something like that against every other team that isn't Wisconsin or JMU. One touchdown, eight turnovers by himself against JMU and Wisconsin. So, like, I think it's more just a product of the quarterback isn't that good at football. And that's kind of just the case. Like, Van Treese was a good quarterback for a college program that wanted to air the ball out a ton. Davis Brin's not. He needs to be playing in a West Coast, like, San Francisco 49ers style offense where, like, he can go 15 of 20 for 200 yards and no touchdowns every game, and he'll win. Like, the, he's not built to throw the ball 50 times a game against good football teams. Um, again, I, I want to give credit to JMU before we get off of this, because I know I've talked about Georgia Southern a ton, but James Madison was absolutely awesome. Jordan McLeod was lethal in this game. Um, I mean, it was every play felt like it was like, yeah, this is probably going for 15, 20 yards. Every time he threw the ball, every time he dropped back. Like, honestly, when I go back and look at the box score and I say, how the heck did he have 11 incompletions? Because it felt like he had like three that I could remember. Um, Elijah Surratt was their leading receiver, 105 yards and a touchdown. He was, he was great. The Georgia Southern defense acts like they've never seen a slant route in their entire lives. Every time they ran a slant, it was just like panic. Like, it was like, where's that guy going? He's not allowed to be here. It, it, it was just one of those things. So, uh, I don't know. For, from a JMU standpoint, a game that could not have gone better. I mean, they were on ESPN2. They're undefeated. Now they get to say, we're right here. You know, we need to be ranked. And, you know, again, it sucks that they can't be in contention to be the G5 considerate uh, in the big bowl against a P5. But it is what it is. Um I mean, they're the best team in the conference. Like, let's, like I said, let's just go ahead and throw it out there. But again, and, and I'm kind of putting this towards any East team because we saw what Georgia State did against Troy a couple weeks ago as well. What's the best case scenario for any team coming out of the East this year? You get beat like Coastal did in the Sun Belt title game last year? Like, is that, 
Is that what you have to look forward to? Is that your reward? So, I mean, I, that's that's kind of what I'm. That's kind of where I'm at with it as a whole. But um, anyway, James Madison moves to six and zero this season and is now three and zero in the conference. Georgia Southern drops to four and two and is now one and one in conference play. Uh, next game here. Uh, I, I mean, we all saw this coming. Uh, I said last week if you were going to take two bets, take Troy in the under against Army. Um, both of them absolutely home runs. Uh, Troy wins nineteen to zero. Uh, they kick four field goals and have a long pass from Gunnar Watson that goes for a third quarter touchdown. I'm not even really sure. Do, do either of you kind of have anything on this? I mean, they, this was as textbook of a performance as I could possibly think of that we we all saw this coming and it went perfectly on um Zeke you have anything no no I mean it's it's just tough to add because like I mean you we knew Troy was gonna play really well against Army defensively and uh you know Gunnar Watson did enough to win Kamani Vidal had a really good game uh I mean they outrushed Army not you know on a week-to-week basis not many teams get to say that you outrushed Army um, and, but, you know, there's not a ton to learn from a game like this. I guess the only thing I take away from this is I'm kind of surprised that, uh, Army's running back Udo went for 124 yards. That's the biggest takeaway that I have because I, I understand how good Troy's defense. Again, not a lot to talk about. It went exactly the way that we all had planned. So we're going to move off this one pretty quickly. Uh, Troy moves to five and two this season and Army is now two and four. Zeke, let's talk about your game here. You you probably were very conflicted on Saturday because your boy Cam Fancher was facing off against your football team. And so this had to be a real, like, I don't know, pulling the, the petals off the flower, being like, do I root for Cam Fancher? Do I root for Georgia State? <laughs> so it, The great thing is it both teams won. Cam Fancher threw for 300 yards and a touchdown uh, on almost 80% completion. And Georgia State kind of romped Marshall, who I think going into this week would, would have been my pick for the second-best team in the East. But but Georgia State kind of romped them. Um, and I think moving forward, the, you know, the big takeaway from this game is they kind of kept Darren Granger on a leash. Only two passes from Darren Granger, who, who normally excels on um, – just chucking it long off the play action is kind of his bread and butter play when he's not running it himself. Only twice did he throw the ball beyond 15 yards, which which to me, it it was obvious watching the game that you could tell he was on a bit of a tighter leash, um, especially after the the game against Troy two weeks ago, where he he turned the ball over three times, twice on an interception. And I think this might be a, a really good, uh, a recipe for the Panthers' offense. Obviously, Marcus Carroll is still great. Obviously, Granger is still incredible on the ground. But uh, if you want to have any chance of beating JMU, I, I think it's highly unlikely. But if you you want to even try, I think it might be moving forward keeping Granger a little more restrained, like they did against Marshall. So I have a question for you. Um, I haven't watched a ton of Marshall this year, and obviously, you were watching this game much closer than I was. Marshall's defense, or we just they're just not good anymore. Like what's the, I, I understand Georgia state's got a lot of weapons on offense. What, what is the deal with Marshall's defense? Uh, it, it's hard to get a real, a real grip for it. Um, especially over these past three weeks, because you look back old dominion, they allowed 35, they allowed 48 to NC state. And now 41 to Georgia state. 
Uh, I mean, that's over 100 points over the past three weeks. It, and it's it's kind of ugly. Uh, but I, I don't know what to really make of it. it from, a, from a statistical perspective, I think what's missing is the quarterback pressures. Uh, and it, it's pretty easy to get pressure on Darren Granger at times. And it's, you know, they run the ball so much that it's easy to get tackles for losses. But, but Marshall came out of this game with only four tackles for loss and, and two sacks. And, you know, obviously the sacks double up, so that's two tackles for loss and two sacks. Um, so for, from a, what's actually missing, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but I think that from a statistical perspective appears to be the glaring issue is their, their front seven just isn't after getting after guys beyond the line of scrimmage. So, uh, like you said, Fancher went for 300, uh, Ali had 103 yards for Marshall and two touchdowns. Um, and then Ali also hauled in a 65 yard passing touchdown. Um, at the end of the third quarter. So just kind of surprising in general, Matt, I don't know if you have anything for Zeke on this game, but I'm just sort of, I don't really know what, what, what is up with Marshall. It feels like one week they look solid. The next week they can't defend anybody. I don't, I don't really understand it. Um, but I mean, Zeke, if you don't have anything else on this, I mean, I feel like you touched on it pretty well. Uh, Georgia state played really well and, you know, came away with the win. So Georgia State moves to five and one this season. Is now two and one in the Sun Belt. Marshall is now four and two and one and one in conference play. Let's get to the last game of the night. Texas State, man, by the skin of their teeth, holds on to beat UL Monroe at home. Talk about your classic look ahead trap game. Uh, UL Monroe seems to be doing this, where one and I'm doing an up and down motion with my hand because this is an audio medium, but. Uh, one week, you know, they're playing, you know, uh, app down to the wire the next week they're getting stomped. And then this week they're playing a Texas state team that we all like down to literally 41 seconds left in regulation. Um, so yeah, like I said, with 41 seconds left, TJ Finley found Joey Hobart, uh, in the left corner of the end zone, pretty much uncovered Texas state comes away with the one point win. Um, Matt, I want to throw it to you as someone who, is not a fan of the Warhawks, but is a fan of the team, uh, a team in the state of Louisiana. What what do we make of UL Monroe? Are, are we thinking that these games that they get up for are flukes, like, and they shouldn't be in them? Because now we've had two, what, in the last three weeks? So, like, what what do we sort of make of, of them? You know, that that's the that's the million dollar question, right? And this what what I'm about to say is is solely my opinion. And does not reflect the views of this podcast, nor, you know, anything else, right? Other than 100% my opinion. I think what you've seen out of ULM is exactly what they are. A A team that has talent, a team that has a good head coach, but has this, I use the word voodoo because we're in Louisiana, um, has this voodoo over them that they're never going to have true success. Uh, reminds me a lot of the San Diego Padres. You know, everybody everybody freaked out when the Padres, oh, they've got Juan Soto, they've got Fernando Tatis Jr., they've got Manny Machado, they've got Blake Snell, they've got this legendary roster. And where did that get them? Where did it get them? They choked in the playoffs last year. They didn't make the playoffs this year. Like, where where does it get them? So I think for ULM, it's one of those things where they have the ability 
to beat the app states and the Texas states of the world. They just don't know how to. And I, I think that that's been the problem for them. Um, it would be nice if they could figure it out because that would just make the Sunbelt West that much more competitive uh, than it already is. Um, but I, I think that's what it boils down to. They just don't know how to close out those tight games. Yeah, I mean, we I touched upon like trying to shed the, the losing mindset last week um, when I was talking about Texas State. I think UL Monroe has got that plus a two-ton elephant on its back. Like, it's just, it's so impossible at this point to say, like, yeah, UL Monroe's definitely going to close a game out because they've had games like this in the past, and I feel like they only take place at night that these games happen, where they'll play a team down to the wire. And I again, I go back to, like, Coastal last year. Uh, they took Coastal down to the absolute wire as well. Um, but they have these games where, you know, they get up for it and then they 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 either do something stupid like they did against App or they don't cover uh, Texas State's leading receiver in the corner of the end zone with 40 seconds to go. Um, Zeke, I want to throw it to you. One team that we've learned that can close games out, especially this year, is Texas State. What, do you sort of say a win's a win and you just move on? Or is there really any, any cause for concern with this sort of this performance? I say no cause for concern. Um, I'll talk about it as we get into, because Texas State has a really juicy matchup this weekend, or I, maybe they have a bye this weekend. So the following week against Troy, uh, they they had 24 third downs, uh, which kind of scares me. They, they couldn't really convert um, a first downs on those first two plays. Uh, but this game was not as close as the the scoreboard indicates, and I say that primarily because uh, ULM had a seventy four yard pick six, so that that means Texas State's you know well in the the red zone you know right on the doorstep and just throws a, a pick six. That's a that's a fourteen point swing. So I I I think there's not a ton of cause to concern. There's things if we really want to be nitpicky, like I said, I I don't love the just the pure sum of third downs that they had to convert. Uh, they converted 14 of 24, which is a pretty good conversion rate. But the fact that you faced third down 24 times, I don't love. Uh, but, I mean, we, we could nitpick. Texas State's fine. Uh, they got a week before Troy. Uh, I think that, that'll be a great, great matchup. I, I think the last little note on ULM here, um, I guess this is easier said than done, but we've seen Texas State now do it. You just need guys who are consistent contributors. Like they just do not have someone at the at the quarterback position, at the running back position, receivers. You know, they don't have guys that can make plays when they absolutely need them. Um, finish this game with clean game, no turnovers, but less than 290 yards of total offense. Um, Jaya Wright only had 150 yards passing on 22 attempts and a score. They just don't. It feels like they don't have the horses, you know, it's like they sort of have that mindset of like, let's get up for these games, but they just don't have quite have the talent to make it happen. So that's kind of where the Warhawks sit right now. Uh, Texas State with the win moves to five and two this season and is now two and one in conference play. Ewell Monroe drops to two and four and is now zero and three in the conference. Um, Just for clarification for everybody, there's a game being played as we record right now. Uh, South Alabama just scored a touchdown. It is now 54 to three over Southern Miss. Um, I, I don't want to say none of us were surprised by this outcome. I'm a little surprised by how many points got are being scored by South Alabama, 
but it feels like all of the frustrations that they've had have built up and now they get to take it out on a poor uh, Golden Eagles team, which Zeke is a huge fan of. Yeah, I, I want to ask because we've been we, – we've laid off on the Butch Jones, you know, fire Butch Jones immediately train. How much longer does Will Hall have? I asked this question just last week. And I, I know. And everybody told me it was too early. I it start I dude, it's just tough. It, it's tough to see this, especially in prime time. It, it's tough to see the embarrassment they're enduring. Yeah, so there's not a lot to discuss here. Ladamian Webb has four touchdowns, uh, and he didn't actually score the fourth one most recently. He he had three at halftime, and then f- the fourth came uh, during, I believe, the third quarter. So you know, again, we saw the. F- ultimate result coming with South Alabama beating Southern Miss, but 55 to three was not something that I had uh, in my head. Let's, let's start with Thursday though. Uh, two days from now, one day after you're hearing this, uh, James Madison is going to be playing on ESPN proper, which is huge for them. They're going to Huntington to take on a Marshall team that just got their doors blown off. Uh, I mean, essentially by Georgia state, James Madison's a three and a half point favorite over unders 50. James Madison, hammer him. But this is one of those, I I don't understand the line here. Um, it almost makes me wonder like if there's information I'm not privy to, but how can you look at these two teams, like not only just the last week, but their resumes as a whole. Zeke, you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this. How can you look at Marshall and say, this is the best team in the East? So, you, you know, uh, give me sort of your thoughts on this game and then we, we'll make a pick. I like the line as well. Obviously, James Madden, uh, Madison minus three and a half. I think the more important question is how high will James Madison be ranked? Because I think it's an atrocity that Air Force is ranked and James Madison is not. I think that is an affront to football. So uh, you can't leave a 7-0 James Madison team out. Are they going to be able to crawl any higher than 23? I, I think realistically, cons- the, they're 26 right now. I think realistically they they come out in the next poll at 23 and to me that's the more interesting question is where where do they rank according to the the non-football watchers at AP uh after after this win uh like 21 20 I I think sounds about right I mean I've, it sounds about right but that's a, that's like a 5 6 spot jump which is tough to make I don't know I mean if you're 7 and 0 you know I'm I'm just throwing this out there. I, I don't I don't actually have a take on this, but like Missouri six and one, right? If they lose by some miracle to South Carolina this weekend, they're out. Like there's there's no reason they should be losing to a two win team. So I think there's probably a couple of teams that are in that sort of spot. Um, I don't think Air Force is losing to Navy, but on the off chance that happens, Air Force is sitting at twenty two. Like they could be out as well. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of teams that are in contention for that, that if they lose, they're they're just flat out. And I think James Madison should pretty much jump anybody that doesn't have a resume that you can really look at and go, wow, they've beaten some. So, uh, Matt, give us your uh, pick on James Madison Marshall. We are. You're going Marshall. With That's your give pick? me the herd, baby. <laughs> this, look, look, there is something about the Joan that... I, I, it's one of those things, man. This this Georgia this Georgia State this Marshall team is going to be pissed off after losing to Georgia State. They're going back home. Rasheen Ali is going to run like a madman. I think 
Marshall wins this game by seven. Give me the herd. So, Matt, here's the problem, though. Uh, I just did all this research for my my preview of Georgia Southern um, James Madison last weekend. James Madison's one Achilles heel is that their secondary is like third worst in the country. If they were to beat James Madison here, Cam Fancher's going to have to do it with his arm. And do you feel comfortable saying Cam Fancher's going to do it with his arm? Yes. Give me the herd. I can't. I can't stress that enough. Give me Marshall. Uh, I, I hear what you're saying about the Joan, and so I, I, I look back the past two, three years, and just now scrolling through ESPN, Marshall hasn't really beat a team that they are better than at home in the past two couple, two, three years. I mean, oh, you beat Bowling Green, congrats! You lost to Troy in 2022. You lost to Louisiana. You lost to Coastal. When they play teams that are like on their par, if not better, they're losing at home. It's not like they've got some magic. They're just they're playing an expectation at home. Matt, I I don't really I'm on the JMU side, which is I I think the right side. But I think my concern for your pick is how is Marshall going to stop JMU from scoring? Because we've seen now a couple weeks, Marshall's defense is in shambles. Like, where is the defense going to come from? Are they going to win just, fifty-two to forty-nine? It just takes one game, baby. It just takes one game. Er- Owen Porter has four and a half sacks on the season, 39 total tackles. I think he I think he gets after the quarterback. Um, you know, I, I think the secondary comes up with a pick or two, uh, especially Micah Abraham, who already has two picks on the season, as well as J.J. Roberts. I, I just, I don't know. I, I have a feeling that Marshall bounces back in a big way and wins this game. So to entertain my question earlier, let's say JMU loses here. Okay. Are they out barring someone else losing? Yes. No, they're out no matter what. Sure. Yeah. If, if, they, if they lose, regardless of what happens, they're out. Yeah. If yeah. they lose by one point on a blocked extra point to end the game. In quadruple done. overtime, right. they're still hey, out. That All the AP voter is going to look at is like, well, Marshall's 4-2 uh, and two and, and this yep. team was 6-0. and oh. they're, they're out. So the, they have the, they have the whole G five paranoia. JMU loses, they're out. Yep, they're done. They're done. So it, think about okay. It, this is a good thought exercise. Think about the team that JMU had last year with Todd Centeno and how good they were. They lost to Georgia Southern by seven on the road against a Georgia Southern team that had beaten Nebraska already, and they were out of the top twenty five. Like the next the next time the poll came out. So like. Yep. they're not going to cut them any slack uh, if they lose. And it, do- it sad thing is it doesn't even really, ma- really matter who they lose to. If they don't run the table, they're going to be out of the top 25 so fast your head's going. So that, that's just the unfortunate sort of situation of it all. All right, to, let's get into Saturday's slate. We've got a kind of a short uh, card here, but first game on the slate, 2 o'clock uh, Eastern time, Ewell Monroe is traveling to Statesboro. Uh, to face off a Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern's a 17 and a half point favorite. Over under is 60. Um, I'm actually going to take Georgia Southern at home, and it's not because I feel great about them as a football team. I just, ULM, again, is on this roller coaster, and they got up for last week's game, and Georgia Southern's typically better at home. I Again, this isn't like a, a, a round of applause like win for them, but they typically blow bad teams out at home. Um, so I'm taking Georgia Southern, but like, Again, I don't think that changes the the direction of your season, whether you win by a hundred or 
by 10. So, uh, Matt, go ahead. Georgia Southern minus 17. Uh, I, I don't I, – I could – it's one of those games where, like you mentioned, you know, Georgia Southern does play better at home. Uh, ULM's kind of – like you, exactly like you said, on this up and down thing, it would more than likely mean that they come down this week. I, I just don't feel comfortable with minus 17. I, I feel like that's a lot. Um, so give me the Warhawks plus 17. And then I'm also – give me the over. Yeah, the over was going to be my pick. Uh, obviously, that's contingent upon Davis Brin not throwing two or three interceptions. And against ULM, uh, ULM's kind of interesting because they have the, the third worst passing defense in the conference this year, but they also have the third most interceptions. Uh, so if, if Davis Brin – I don't know how that happens, but it, so if Davis Brin ends up throwing two or three picks, uh, it's not going to happen. But I like the over here because I think uh, Southern's good enough to put up 50 here, and then you're just relying on 10 from UL Monroe, and I, I think that's very feasible. Give me the over 60. See, I, I think the final score of this one is going to be like 35 to 10. Like, I think it's going to be a solid blowout, but I think there's going to be a stage where, like, Georgia Southern, a team that typically does not run the football a lot, doesn't really want to run the football for reasons unknown, is just going to kind of be killing the clock late in this one, and they're not going to be looking to put points up. So, like, that's just... It, there. There is definitely a way where, like, ULM doesn't score, and it just screws you, like, out of the over. And that's that's kind of what I would be scared of. Um Talking about the secondary thing that you said about ULM, it reminds me of, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, like, Asante Samuel, not junior, the one that plays for the Chargers, but senior, who used to play for the Patriots. He was like a feast or famine corner. Marcus Peters is another guy that uh, used to play for the Rams. and Trayvon Diggs. Yeah, like, like they'll either have an interception or they'll let a a play go for 60, and there's, like, almost no in-between So because they don't tackle. So, like, that's... I assume their secondary is just made up of guys like that. Um, all right, next game, 7 o'clock, NFL Network. App State is traveling to Norfolk to take on Old Dominion. App is a 6.5-point favorite, over-unders 53.5. Um, I'm taking App. It's easy. Like, Old Dominion's not a very good football team. App is going to be upset about this one, and it's less than a touchdown. Like, all they have to do is win by 7 to cover. Uh, give me App. Matt? Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, that's pretty straightforward. Um, look, I, I know Old Dominion's the home team, but y- you get four points nowadays for being the home team. So the line is really app minus ten and a half. Uh, yeah, give me app. See, yeah, no question about it. Give me app here. Uh, they've played a couple tight ones. Uh, I mean, especially that ULN game. I think this could possibly end up like that. Uh, considering Old Dominion played Marshall fairly close, but uh, I like App here for sure. Zeke, I have a question. Um, similar to the the ULM concern, where are the points coming from from ODU in this scenario? Like we've talked about their quarterback situation. Like mm-hmm. they they simply do not have someone who can throw the ball forward. Right. So I, I guess that's my concern when when you look at Old Dominion. Oh no, I I don't think Old Dominion's gonna play it tight, but. There have just been a couple games this year where points have come out of nowhere. I mean, Wake, Louisiana, Marshall, they just, like, scored points d- despite 
you know, as you said, no horses in that stable, nobody that you can rely on to get you any semblance of yards. So I, I don't know where they're coming from. They pull a new guy out of the hat every week. Uh, so I still like app, but it, it's certainly within the realm of possibility that this is a tight one. All right. Uh, next game here, also at 7 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. Coastal is going into Jonesboro to take on Arkansas State. Uh, I believe Arkansas State had a bye, uh, so they've had a week to rest up. Coastal's had a 10-day layoff between – or no, longer than 10 days. Anyway, it's it's been a long layoff between uh, games. Coastal is a 10.5-point favorite on the road over under 60.5. Matt, you called your shot with the Marshall game. I'm taking Arkansas State plus 10.5. I think Coastal coming off of a huge win on Tuesday night. They just got up for their biggest – you know, what – biggest win – of the season, maybe not their biggest game, but it, it will go down as probably their biggest win of the season beating app. Arkansas State's had a week off to rest. Coastal. I, I was going to say, I was going to, I agree with you wholeheartedly uh, on the Arkansas State plus 10 and a half. I think Coastal wins the game, but Arkansas State's going to give them everything they've got. Also, like defensively, Coastal is, is sort not of all, all over the place. Like, one. One series they'll look, they'll make a team go three and out, and then the next series they'll come out five minutes later and go twelve plays, eighty five yards for a score. So like, there's just really no rhyme or reason to it. Zeke, uh, I I like Coastal here. Uh, I think what you said is very true, and realistically, I don't think they're gonna win by. Uh, look, I I just don't think they're gonna they're not gonna win this by you know, by fourteen seventeen, but ten and a half is just quite literally half a point too low for me. Uh, I just, I don't love Arkansas state. I know they're three and three. I know they're one and one in conference, but I, I'm not going to shy away from the fact. I don't think Arkansas state is a good team. And I think coastal Carolina is a good team. Uh, so some belt West champion, Arkansas state red wolves. <laughs> no, not worried about it. <laughs> I, you know, I usually am, I'm pretty good at doing the over unders. I feel like the overs, for the games that I would like normally are just so damn high this week. Like I 60 is a threshold that like I, I typically don't mess with unless I feel pretty confident. And I'm just like coastal's defense isn't that good. Arkansas state's defense isn't that good. But if coast, if Arkansas state's quarterback doesn't come out and play well, like it, it's going to be a long Saturday. Like it, it, it's independent of coastal's defense. If, if, if Arkansas State's quarterback doesn't come out and and run hundred plus yards and then have two hundred yards rushing, like it may be a real real long game for the Red Wolves. But I I just like their I like the the opportunity to to take them with plus you know double digit points at home. Um, last game of the night, you guys teams are facing off. We've got Georgia State and Louisiana eight o'clock ESPNU. Uh, UL is a two point five two and a half point favorite. Over under 63. I'm going to let you guys go um, because I have been on the wrong side of both of these teams multiple times this season, and I have no idea what's going to happen. Actually, you know what? I'll just throw my pick out there. Over 63. Like, neither one of you guys' defenses, like, I, I feel like are going to completely shut the other one down. Both of your your teams score points and have running quarterbacks and do all that sort of fun stuff. So that's, that's where I sit on it. Um, I'm going to throw it to Zeke. All right, I'm, I'm going to rattle you off a, a quick little fact that I learned today. Since Sean Elliott became the head coach, the Panthers have gone to four bowl games. In each of the four years that they went to a bowl game, in the game 
the first game they had a chance to clinch, they did. So as soon as they win that fifth, they go out and win the sixth. And that's what they have the opportunity to do here. A win for Georgia State sends them to a bowl game. And they have never lost in the first chance. It's a little convoluted. Brian, I see you shaking your head. This is the most stat I've ever heard. When it's No, no, it's good. It's good because it means when the opportunity is there, they take it and they win. I like Georgia State here on the road. I think they go bowling. Uh, aside from this, I just like Georgia State more than I like Louisiana. You, no points, are gonna, points are going to be scored, and, and I trust the Panthers to outgun the Cajuns. Wow. Your, your stats are cute. But let me let me let me tell you something, buddy. Five and zero. Oh. Georgia State's never beaten UL, and it ain't gonna be this weekend either. Look, man, I mad mad respect to what Darren Granger and Marcus Carroll have been able to do, and they will have success Saturday night. But Zion, Chris, and this Cajuns offense are gonna make one too many plays, and the defense is gonna step up when it matters the most. Uh. It's homecoming at Cajun Field. It's under the lights on national TV. The Cajuns always step up for these games. I, I know I sound homerish, but God, give give me the Cajuns by seven. You know, as as a Georgia Southern fan, I'm watching. You know, you got Georgia State with Darren Granger. You've got Louisiana with Zion Chris. You've got Arkansas State with their guy. I I just feel like with. I'm just Squidward in that meme where he's got his face pressed up against the glass and he's watching SpongeBob and Patrick have fun outside. Like that's me with my statue. I was about to say Brian sounds a little jealous. No, no. I our quarterback is a statue with an arm of a three month old baby. So like I'm just I'm I'm pretty depressed. Like that other teams are playing fun football and we're throwing a thousand tunnel screens every game. And that's that's supposed what I'm supposed to get excited for on Saturday. Um, but what's what's your who do you think wins this game? I, I know you I know you went over under, but I want to hear who you legitimately think wins this game. Uh, I think it's Louisiana. I think I think playing at home is is ultimately what the edge is going to be for me. Um, again, I've never I feel like I've never been on the right side of either one of these teams. Like I'll, I'll believe in Georgia State one week they'll lose by four touchdowns to Troy. The next week I'll be like off of them. They go beat. Marshall by 17 points same thing kind of with Louisiana like I I didn't really know what to expect when you guys played UAB the the old Dominion game was stuck in the back of my head I was like I don't I don't I don't feel comfortable with this but I think ultimately Louisiana pulls it out I think it's gonna be very close um but I think playing at home and having having that advantage at night in Louisiana I think I think it all comes together and I again I don't think it's a blowout like but I think it's I think it's very close at the end um, so that would, that would be my pick, but I welched and I get to, I get to just take the over and root for points, points, points. Matt, you're giving us the, the rock on sign language. I love you. Is that a Louisiana thing? Are you making the, the fluid at least with your hands? Is that it? It's the UL. Oh, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. It's that's our hand signal. It's the UL. That's cute. <laughs> I guess we sell it on t-shirts and hats and everything else. It's great. Go Cajuns, baby. I, I legitimately didn't know that until just Absolutely. Yikes. I may take Georgia State just based off of that. <laughs> I may switch Cajun. my pick. You can't do that. You already locked it in. Which, speaking, speaking of this game, did y'all see the unis? 
Dude, yeah. those are gorgeous. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Makes me happy. Zeke, before we before we close out and start doing um like talking about our socials and all that sort of stuff, do you guys do you as a as someone who covers Georgia State and and maybe you can speak for the whole fan base, do you guys ever get depressed that you don't have throwbacks because you're still so new that like there's no No, and I'm not being I'm not no, trying I hear you. I'm legitimately asking like when you're that new of a team, there's nothing to throw back to. Like you can't be like when we were you know, right. Georgia Teachers College, like back in the, the 30s, we like we wore these brown milkmaid uniforms and that's what we're throwing back to. Like it's it's just like, yeah, man, it's it is what it is. No, I'll tell you what, what doesn't or what does depress me when it comes to Georgia State uniforms is the blue helmets. I know a lot of people like the lighted blue, blue helmets, but the logo itself is if you picture the Georgia State Panther, it's very reliant on like the negative space shadows of the white and the blue, right? It, it's not like a flat, uh, not necessarily flat, but like you think of Georgia State's or Southern's logo, for example, there's some depth to it, right? It, it's a side angle. There's multiple colors into it. When they put the Panther on the blue helmet, you lose all of the definition in the Panther. And I, for lack of a better word, it loses legibility. So in terms of just like what I don't like about Georgia State's uniforms, because I think that for the most part, they're pretty good. I, I like the arm stripes. I like the blue. When they throw it to the black, it could be better, but, but has potential. But it's the blue helmets that absolutely kill me just because it does not work at all with the, the blue panther head. Yeah, it, 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 it's just like a, there's like a white little stencil on the outside of it. And that's like the only thing separating it from the background. Yeah, yeah, they've got a, I don't know if they still use it, but they've got a, a helmet with like the word mark Panthers. And it, if they use that on the blue, I think that might look a little bit better. Um, I think they also, they, Georgia State just kind of needs, it, they're a young program, but they need that defining like alternate logo or that defining, you know, I, I like the blacks, but I think there's a lot to be left desired there. Uh, if anyone from Georgia State is listening, uh, and is hiring in the uniform design department. I have Photoshop. I, I could cook for you guys. Shoot me an email, or you can hit me on Twitter at Zeke Palermo, Z E K E P A L E R M O. You can also find me post about the podcast there. You can follow the podcast at Warm Weather Fans. Matt, I know you're on Twitter as well. Uh, Zeke will do that job for free, by the way. Oh, certain? Um, are you kidding? I would. Are you? That is a dope gig. I'll certainly do that for free. He will do it for less than free. Um, you can find me on social media at Miguez Matt. Um, I just put out a great column today about how uh, attendance at Cajun Field needs to be better, especially with homecoming this weekend. Uh, so go check that out and, and let me know what you have to say. Yeah, um, I, I just had one last point about the, the Panthers uniforms just before I, I do my socials and we get out of here. Does part of you, Zeke, ever think like we have like a logo that looks like it belongs in like Madden 05, like as a creative team? Like it it looks like it a little bit. So this is funny you mentioned that. I just kicking dirt in my time. Uh in NHL twenty-three, I, I don't have the new, I got the old one, right? They they have the ability to make a custom league where it, it you, you don't have to use the thirty-two teams, you can make your own teams and make it a fourteen team league. And so for kicks and giggles, I, I used their team creator and created all of the Sunbelt 
schools. Just kind of, you know, it was fun, fun little hobby. It was a manageable number of teams. Um, Georgia State's looks the best because their logo is in there in the pre-created lo- uh, logos. I mean, it it is just right there, a front faith facing big cat. Uh, it's a good logo. I like it a lot. It works, uh, but at, at times perhaps a, a touch unimaginative. Um, if we're if we're going to talk about logos for a second, I I find logos uh, and Matt has a, a great example of this logos that have multiple elements that you can kind of pull out of it, right? Whereas you can pull out you pull out Cajuns, you can pull out the pepper, right? You can pull out the Florida lease. You've got all these elements. Georgia State, you've just got the Panther. You can't pull anything out of it, right? Southern, you've got the word mark and you've got the eagle. You can pull out whatever you want. You just got the Panther. You can't pull anything out. And that's my logo rant. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. No, I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it was, that that definitely all makes sense. Um, as always, you can find me on Twitter X whatever uh, at Watch the Stone. We will be back next week to talk over these games that we just previewed and then get into week nine. This has been War Mother Fans. Thank you.